1: Welcome to the Missing Moramari Mari podcast. I'm Tim here with Lance. This episode is part two of our interview with John Ronson. Last week we aired part one and uh, part two is doesn't really have much to do with Mora, but we love John and we figured if you were coming to hear John Ronson. You wanted to hear the whole interview on one channel. Uh, so it's here in its entirety. Don't expect any more Amari chat right here, but the conversation is very interesting.
2: Yeah.
3: Now, while we don't specifically discuss uh, the details so much in, in Morris' case, right, we, we do talk about some topics that have come out of what the episodes that we've done uh, with Morris' case, uh, uh, the psychopath conversation troll conversations um he talks about his book with his his self-described horror story that he wrote so you've been publicly shamed all of this kind of contributes to what we do and and that the, the social media and the, the industry and and the people who listen and everything that that's put out there um
1: and and so it's all pretty relevant john's got a new podcast that is coming to audible on july 27th so download it there because it won't be available on any other podcast apps until November. I'm sure the podcast is going to be great. It's called The Butterfly Effect with John Ronson. Right. And what John does and I said
3: it before in in uh the crawlspace intro. Uh, what John does is he'll take an an idea or a concept or just something that you see every day or something that's buried in the newspaper and he'll 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 say that's way more interesting than than the common thing out there. That's way more interesting than the than the thing that is being like pushed at you from 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 all media outlets, newspaper, radio, television, and and he'll he'll dig into it and he'll actually immerse himself into the topic that that he's uh, that he's investigating and how one idea, hence the title Butterfly Effect, how one idea can impact something in a significant manner down the road
1: okay so we hope you enjoyed the second half of this conversation follow us on twitter at maura murray doc and follow john on twitter at john ronson thank you very much for listening
3: I do want to shift gears a little bit to talk about um, the concept of um, of a psychopath yeah. mm-hmm. and the concept of trolling. And if you think there's a difference, um, mm. um, maybe a year ago I was playing around with the notion of there being a, a difference between a psychopath online and being normal.
2: Yeah, you know, I did a little bit of um, – I remember when I was writing So You've Been Publicly Shamed, at one point I did. I went back to the psychopath checklist and thought – is is the internet turning us more psychopathic just as a species? And I sort of came to the conclusion, actually, not, not that much. Like of the psychopath checklist, there's only a couple of items which kind of, um, which relate to the way that we behave online. I think we do become less empathetic online, no doubt, mm-hmm. when, yeah. you know, we dehumanize people, we... Bully people for ideological reasons, not just trolls, but in a way, trolls i don 't know trolls interest me less than people who bully people for more complicated um ideological reasons, so and so you 've been publicly shamed one of the I guess the sort of um centerpiece stories about this woman called Justine Sacco who tweeted, just before getting on a plane to Cape Town, tweeted, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white, and thought she was doing a kind of South Park joke, you know, like that everybody would get. When when I say everybody, like her tiny number of Twitter followers, like 100 Twitter followers, um, everybody would understand that she was making a joke like making fun of her own privilege. But then when she was asleep on a plane, she became like the worldwide number one trending topic on Twitter and hundreds of thousands of people just just destroyed her and i'm more interested in those sorts of things because because the rationale is just much more com there were certainly trolls got involved yeah. you know somebody wrote somebody hiv positive should rape this bitch and then we'll find out if her skin color protects her from aids or i'm i'm hoping she gets aids lol there was enough of those like right. trolls who just enjoyed kind of jubilant online chaos but other bullies did it for way more complicated reasons of social justice and mm-hmm. and wanting to show the other people in their circle that they were good people. So, you know, I'm going to destroy this bad person as a way of demonstrating that I am a good person and so on. Um, yeah, I don't know why I went off on that tangent. No, it's uh, it, fascinating. It, yeah. It's
3: fascinating and it leads into other things, which is you find these stories and you uh, – when do you know? Is there something because you must yeah. find dozens of stories. When, do, when does one click? Like the Pornhub one and and this yeah. one. When does it click and you say? Because a lot of a lot of what you're talking about is something that a lot of most people would read as like a headline and then scroll to something yeah. else. But you read something and and you say, "There's way more to this."
2: Yeah, this really tells us something about the world. you're, okay. like, you're looking for that moment, um, and you stumble on it. You know, but with Justine, it was like. I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe that I was like one of a tiny number of people that night um, no one defended her mm. no one like not, no, not the mainstream media it was like this you know this giant this kind of Godzilla bully kind of had sprung up from the internet and s- was stamping on everything and everyone was too scared to, to try and push back
3: right um, and all the pushback would be would just be somebody saying, hey,
2: can sh- you wait till the plane lands? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I, just wait till the plane lands. She made a lands. bad joke. Yeah. Or, or not even that. Like, I've got a feeling it may have been a liberal joke that was badly worded. Can we wait until the plane lands? Um, waiting until the plane lands was considered weakness that night um, because the prevailing view was we are so woke. This is amongst the left. Like, everyone destroyed Justine. The left, the right, trolls, mm-hmm. misogynists. Like, everyone banded together to destroy Justine. But the left, who kind of interests me the most because I'm kind of from the left, um, although not that, you know, a less authoritarian left, I'd say, uh, were like, we are so woke that waiting... Like, we... We know what, who she is and what she's thinking, even if she doesn't. Right. And anything she says is going to be a lie, because you know we know. Mm-hmm. So waiting for the plane to land was would would have been considered weakness that night. Mm. So when all of these thoughts like cascaded into me, I thought, um, God, this is this is really this is like an important moment in uh, history. Like I, I, and no one else can see it. Like right. no one else can notice that this is really fucked up Mm -hmm. and really important it's we society has changed and it's crystallized in the destruction of this woman so yeah so i got i felt very excited i suppose to have noticed something that nobody else had noticed right um i say excited but it was also very stressful like most of my stories like i immerse myself completely but they don't affect my mental health this story for some reason like it, it, it snaked its way into my head. Do
3: you and, think it's because it's so um relevant because of today yeah. because of that and
2: because of, it was us like everyone yeah. it was us doing it. Yeah, like, with um I mean I've told stories about white separatists being shot by the FBI. Mm-hmm. Like on a selfish level I'm never going to be shot by the FBI. Like that's really not going to happen. So so you can feel incredibly sorry for this person and um but but there's always going to be a little bit of a distance like i am not a white separatist and i'm not going to take my family to the top of a mountain in idaho and then you know piss off the local us marshals and hoard guns and then get <laughs> killed like that's not going to happen to me and my family
3: that's what that's what they all say <laughs> <laughs> so uh
2: but we're just in it's like i am I am both Justin Sacco, and I am also the people who tore Justin Sacco apart, right, so I think that's why it, it that's why it snaked its way into me
3: and yeah, and you could we we all could be one bad joke away from that
2: yeah absolutely I, and and we you know we, we make are. a lot of bad
3: jokes,
1: yeah, and it's so
2: <laughs> uh, could I tell you a story of something that happened to me? I gave a talk at the Oxford Union, which is supposed to be like highfalutin. it's supposed to be like Hogwarts. Um, and um, and on the surface it looks like hogwarts like the room looks like hogwarts and anyway i made this joke on stage it was being live tweeted this is about how any of us are like one step away from being justin sacco it was being live tweeted by this student who was like one of the people on the oxford union body you know the oxford union is like the kind of harvard whatever and uh so I so I kinda of got on stage, told some stories, told the Justin Sacker story, and then during the Q and A I said, like um, you know, I suppose I and I, I said as a joke, I said, Well sort of a joke, it's like a nuanced point. I said, you know, one one thing you can say for like Twitter is that um you know schlubby white men like me finally know what it's like to be objectified, which is progress, I suppose. Um, <laughs> anyway, I sort of chuckled to myself. Everyone in the audience laughed and, you know, it was like a you know joke and yeah. so on. Anyway, when I got into the car, I thought, I wonder how that live tweeting went. So it was like, John Ronson is taking the stage. Next tweet. John Ronson says white men are being objectified. John Ronson's leaving the stage. <laughs> that was basically it. Uh, I, and I had to phone up the Oxford Union and, like, yell at them, <laughs> like, you know, did you not just listen to my fucking talk? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they deleted the tweet, but not before I'd say two or three hundred people were like, "Look at this! Look at how wow. look at how close yeah. you
3: just danced on the edge of." Of mm. of being what you write
2: about, yeah. You, know, you just uh, like if, if that could have
3: stayed there, and then you could have oh, been yeah. spending the re- like a, a better Explaining part of your career. That joke
2: over and over, and
3: right? Over and, and going over again. on like shows and saying, "I'm not saying this, guys. Yeah. It was a joke. I'm sorry." <laughs> it's it's and No crazy. one in the
2: room, like no one in the room, took that line for anything other than what it was, which was a joke. Yeah, um, but of course, on the internet, you know. A decontextualized one nightmare, what a fucking nightmare we've created for ourselves on social media, yep. you know think of what social media could have been it, and and still is to to an extent is a place, a window into other people's lives you know you I follow people with mental health problems with a hundred Twitter followers and I follow people with eight million Twitter followers and The thing I loved most about social media when I first got onto it was how egalitarian it was, like I would find somebody who's had like a difficult life. And they're so funny and interesting. And I've only got 100 Twitter followers, but, you know, their voice is coming onto my computer in the same way that, you know, somebody with 10 million followers, Katy Perry or Rupert Murdoch. is like this extraordinary window into people's lives and it's egalitarian it's, and it's about curiosity. Mm-hmm. But we took this thing of curiosity and we turned it into a thing of judgment and, and destruction and, you know.
3: And control, too. And, yeah. And... and, and Censoriousness. mm
2: mm-hmm. um, yep. And, you know, I truly believe that all of us on the right and on the left, you, you know, with this hard, cold judgment, it was like we all polluted... The lake, and then what emerged from the polluted lake, like a mutant fish, is President Trump. I was, so,
3: yeah, uh, like you. You were saying that, and that I, I had the visual of this like frogman coming out, and then, yeah. and then all of a sudden he grew like this comb over, yes, this blonde comb over,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah, I want to say to the people who, you know, tore apart Justin. Sacco, it's like. You know, Breitbart and Infowars propagandized the hell out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, every time you did this, Breitbart went crazy on it. Mm -hmm. And some middle American guy who personally, I think, would have voted for Bernie Sanders, um, who spoke to their concerns, saw what the left was concerned with. And the left was concerned with just... Tearing apart somebody who stepped out of light, even in the smallest way. And they thought, well, that doesn't speak to me. Right. Bernie Sanders might have spoke to me, but this doesn't speak to me. Right. I'm voting for Trump.
3: Right. Yep. Yeah. There's a huge, huge portion of people that, that, that thought just like that. I was yeah. uh, watching something with them. You know, Dan Savage. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he described the people and I mean, it's, it's his own opinion, but he described that group of people as like knuckle dragging America. And it doesn't take much. Yeah. It doesn't take much to convince a segment yeah. like that to yeah. to, to think in, in a way like it's easy.
2: Trump is the monster that we created. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely.
3: And, and if he wasn't president of the United States, it'd be no problem for people to just say, what is this troll doing? Yeah. What is this troll doing? I mean he is a troll. He's a troll. He's 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 the biggest yeah. troll in the world right now. He is. And, yeah. So
2: are you guys to bring about Tomorrow and are are you um sort of your you think about trolls and stuff because they've become a big part of your life since you started doing this podcast? Yeah, and
3: it's fascinating too. I never thought that we would encounter as 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 much hostility. Uh, in the beginning, we don't so much right now. Actually, I have a couple emails that I'll, <laughs> I'll show you when we're done that yeah. that I got yesterday. But um, we, it, it it started off as like you took them seriously, and then you don't, and then you just become fascinated with them.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, I feel like I, it's a it's a classification thing too with, with the word troll. Like, uh, yeah, it's a
2: pejorative term. Yeah, like you know, like I would say, like going back to my Justin Sacco story. I, I would say that a lot of people who tore apart Justin Sacco didn't didn't tear her apart um, be, because they were trolls. They tore her apart because they genuinely thought that they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Um,
3: right, right. So you have people who, who who think they're doing the right thing, especially with the true crime genre. They think they're doing the right thing by coming up with a, a solution for the case. So but then are trolls
1: just trying to amuse themselves?
2: There's certainly some people who just kind of do it, you know, for, for – I mean, they may have their own kind of issues, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, but who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, who are doing it just for you know because they think sort of online chaos is is it has its own is its own reward? Oh mm-hmm.
3: yeah, yep. Yeah. I think people people get off on that. People get off on the you know they don't have. Anything. I'm just generalizing, but I, I imagine they don't have a lot of power outside of the online community, and then they get into their online community, and it's literally anything they want to do. Yeah,
2: I mean, there's other people who kind of do it kind of for ideological reasons. I mean, some four chan people, um, you know, there's a sort of uh, sort of um, anarchy to it that some mm-hmm. people do it because they, you know, they sort of see themselves as sort of sowing, you know, sewing kind of anarchic chaos, right? Um, like, I know some of the 4 people who – a woman called Mercedes Hafer, for instance, who was nearly put in prison for hacking into PayPal. And that's what she would say, that she she does it as part of this sort of, you know, spreading chaos for almost for sort of ideological reasons.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like in a, lot, in a lot of ways, especially the ones that we run into, like, they don't necessarily see the outcome. You mm. know, like, they don't see how we deal with it. So how is it gratifying to them?
2: Yeah. Um yeah I think they just maybe they just enjoy it from their from from inside their own heads yeah Yeah. Um, and it's hard to tell like there's some people who are happy to know that it's really hurting other people but then there's other people who have to psychologically trick themselves into thinking that's not the case I noticed this time and again Um, going back to Justin Sacco I asked the guy who started the campaign against her while she was asleep on the plane like how how did it feel and he said, oh, it felt delicious. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then he said, this is a Gorka journalist, quite, quite well-known journalist. And then he said, but I'm sure she's fine now. Because
3: um, is he justifying it? Is he? Is he? Um,
2: yeah, because he's he's playing a trick. He's playing a psychological trick on himself. Yep. Like he can only be OK with what he did if he can trick himself into thinking she's fine now. I noticed this actually the other day with, um, with the guy, Otto Warmbier, the guy who died, after coming out of North Korea. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Um, when he was arrested, a bunch of commentators were like, you know, service him right for being, you know, privileged and a bro and a, you know, alpha male. But they would often, they would have to caveat that because you see him sobbing uncontrollably um in court yeah so that doesn't fit with serves them right so they have to caveat it by saying it was crocodile tears if you look you'll see the phrase crocodile tears yeah and that's they don't say that for no reason they don't maybe don't realize the reason why they're saying that but the reason why they're saying that is because of cognitive dissonance they they don't want to see themselves as, as a bad person so they have to pretend that they haven't done a bad thing
1: Yep. Why can't people just admit they're wrong? And and why can't we all admit that there's gray in life and nothing is black and white?
2: Well, I yeah. <laughs> I think who was good at this, I I think was was Obama. I think Obama was warning about all of this. He gave a number of speeches mm-hmm. where he said the center is dying, everybody's retreating to their corners, you know, you should watch out, the center is dying and things could get worse. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, things did get worse.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean David, there's there's many historical figures that have been uh talking about that for for years, and they do a diff- they they come across it uh, in a different way each each person does and Kennedy talked about it and Malcolm X talked about it, and they both have their different mm. platforms and their different um processes to to deliver that message um yeah but it is a, it's not it's not a gradual death i mean it is a gradual death it's yeah. not an instant death
2: i mean my one hope is is that you know having having Trump as president might at least you know, show everybody what it was that we've been hurtling towards these past three or four years. And here you go. You know, this this is what this is. This is what happened. Yep.
3: And as ironic as it is, we're yeah. experiencing exactly what democracy is. Yeah, you're not going to get away. like You're not going to get away with that. Yeah. You're here by the people for the people. And you can say fake news all you want. But you're just you're not going to get away with it
2: yeah and and my hope is when all this is over um it maybe people will i mean i say this because i'm i'm a moderate i mean i'm my natural place is being a moderate mm-hmm. and i'm just hoping that this will make people you know remember that being a moderate isn't that bad right yeah yeah,
3: yeah. i just hope in like <laughs> in like three and a half years we're not having another conversation where I'm like, yeah. remember when I said he's not going to get away with it? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're in for another yeah. four years. Oh, God, but, um,
1: we could be talking about Russia, that whole uh, the whole story there uh, yeah. in a couple of years. I don't know. Where, where but, do you stand on, on that? Do you think there's, there's validity to that story?
2: Uh, I, I, had, I had a drink the other night with a sort of high-up journalist on a high-up newspaper, and he said to me... We're all getting a little bit worried that <laughs> there's no, there's no story here, and it's going to come back and burn us. Right? Who um, I, I knows? I don't know. But didn't? And, and I don't think they know either. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he he was basing that simply on. Like more stuff should have come out by now if it was going to come out. Yeah. yeah,
3: and I don't see I don't I don't see where I wrote down we're going to have Trump political talk. <laughs> in my notebook, know, but, but I'll I'll keep going with yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have to be really careful about the information that's being put out there because recently there have, uh, the, every every news organization assesses all the information, all the tips that come into them, all the all the leads that they that they get, mm-hmm. and. Th- there there i think it was rachel maddow who just looked at some information that seemed like it was uh very much linking trump to russia and they looked into it and they uh they they vetted it and just determined that it was fake right and now and it was coming right on the heels of the cnn reporters who were just they they resigned because of that and it wouldn't surprise me if there's some media machine that's feeding information that the left media wants to hear so that they go ahead and, and print it or say it and then it comes back around like that's not true. It's, yeah,
2: it's it's possible. I mean and that's very are,
3: Orwellian and that's a very
2: yeah, They're very Machiavellian people. I mean Roger yep. Stone who's you know yeah. in, deep in the background who I've who I've met is a Extremely Machiavellian person. This is the way that they think. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I have tried to watch that documentary uh-huh. and I just finished it recently, but it took me three three tries. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Give me Roger Stone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know whether he's a genius or whether he's mm. I mean, is he a psychopath?
2: Well, i tell you what I can tell you about Roger Stone, which is that he, he's the man who brokered the meeting between Donald Trump and my old friend Alex Jones. And, and when I was covering this, I wrote an e-book last summer called The Elephant in the Room, which was about Alex Jones's relationship with Donald Trump, because I've known Alex Jones for like 20 years. Um, and I was sort of piecing together just sort of how it worked, like how their meeting worked. And it was through Roger Stone. And I said to Roger Stone, this is going to backfire on you. Right, like you know, because Alex is crazy. Alex Jones is crazy. He he believes these crazy things. Um, and if you align Alex Jones with Trump, it's going to backfire on you. And he was like, "No, it's not." And <laughs> and, and and he was right, and I was wrong. Oh uh,
3: yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Uh, you know, I'm pretty certain that Alex's base of however many million people, three or four million people, who probably wouldn't have voted if Alex hadn't told them to vote for Trump. Mm. Um, you know, maybe they swung the election. Wow. Either way, it, I was certain that Trump aligning himself with Alex would, would would repel more people than it attracted, and it would be more proof that Trump wouldn't win the election.
3: But Roger Stone had some sort of, he was tapped into something. He was. Where he knew, yeah,
2: yeah no, he was.
3: It's, it's actually going to help.
2: He was very confident yeah. uh, that, that this was going to help.
1: What uh-huh. um? One more thing on the Trump thing. Okay, um, okay. When he tweeted modern, you know, I, I'm not pre- presidential. I'm modern day presidential mm. in in caps. Isn't that like a, kind of a backwards way to look at it? it it's only mm. because he's the president. Can he call himself modern day presidential? Like if yeah. I if I took people who worked at Baskin-Robbins, and I went in there with a gun and said, this is motherfucking modern day Baskin-Robbins. Like, I, would, I wouldn't be wrong.
2: No. <laughs> I suppose the one thing Trump is doing, like I listen to Pod Save America, uh, and, you know, they always sound exasperated when Trump does something kind of unreconstructed, and, you know, writes a tweet that doesn't go through a committee, and, you know, they... and. Uh, That seems to be working Mm -hmm, uh, for people. Trump just speaking his mouth. I mean, the fact is, you know, for all the awfulness that that it entails, um, tweeting from your gut, however corrosive your gut is, seems to, seems to be more popular for a lot of people than tweeting after it's gone to, after the tweet's gone yeah. through a committee. Yeah, right. And so maybe you,
3: that's what he meant by modern day president. Or do you yeah. think yeah. that he was expressing some sort of cognitive uh, dissidence right there? By, like, like,
2: well, he's certainly very good at, uh, at seeing the world through his prism of of you know the power of positive thinking. Right. Growing up in in Manhattan, his preacher was was Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote the Power of Positive Thinking. Mm. And Trump has spoken a lot about how Norman Vincent Peale, you know, who was this kind of huge, you know, like, you know, power of positive thinking was probably his biggest success is how to influence and influence people. And, yeah. you know, later on, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Mm. And 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 I think, you know, Trump has found a way to see the world in a Norman Vincent Peale way where everything that happens is positive.
3: And if it's not, then it's fake.
2: Yeah. If it's not, it's just people out to get him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, a couple of weeks ago I was in, I was in the city here and uh, met with an old friend of mine who is uh, now high up in the in the business world and he works at one of the top investment banks in town and he's got a high position up there and I said I told him that we were coming down here in a couple of weeks to interview John Ronson. He wrote the psychopath test um, which basically says or it looks at the idea that there are a lot of psychopaths high up in the business world and he goes Psh, like that and and I said, well, that's definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought it was interesting that he didn't think that it he was true. It. But yet he's surrounded yeah. by these people.
2: Well, OK, the, the statistics, according to Robert Hare, who's like the kind of father of modern day psychopathy research, who's kind of widely admired, is that you're four times more likely to have a psychopath at the top of the business order than at the bottom. You're four times more likely to have one in the boardroom and not in the janitor's room. Um. Uh, but, I think in certain sectors anyway, the kind of quick kill sectors what they're not good at psychopaths they're not they're not patient people, they don't really kind of assiduously build up a business over uh uh you know over many years they're not richard branson um i mean, I think everybody who's incredibly successful has some sort of psychological Issue yeah. that that propels them up there, mm-hmm. but for a lot of them it's not psychopathy. I, I think you'll find a preponderance of psychopathy in the kind of business which is all about a quick kill, like get in, make a shitload of money, and then get out again. Yeah, Th- those are the companies where you're going to find psychopaths. You know, um, so hedge funds, for instance, is, is mm. the kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's it's plausible when you look at the checklist. Yeah. so many of the items on the checklist are rewarded in by you know, certain sectors of capitalism. Quite often it doesn't work out. You know, quite often these are people who then get mired in accountancy fraud and the shareholders regret ever making them the CEO. Right. Um, you know, because psychopathy quite often equals malevolence. Right, yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, they're impulsive and they're irresponsible. Those are two items on the checklist. So So I think a classic corporate psychopath would be somebody who goes into a failing, goes into a business, like, wows everybody, becomes the CEO, everybody, like, is in, very charismatic, makes a hell of a lot, you know, behaves in this very ruthless way, makes a hell of a lot of money for the shareholders. But then after, like, six months, it all collapses. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may emerge unscathed and go and do it again in another company.
3: Right, exactly. Yeah. Now... Do you see a correlation between genius and being a psychopath? And how do you categorize Stanley Kubrick? Because I know you've had some experience with him and his work and his family.
2: Yeah, I spent a lot of time up at the Stanley Kubrick's house in England. I made a documentary called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes.
3: Which, can you tell me where to see that? Because I'm trying to find it. Oh,
2: you know what? Vimeo just took it down. Yeah. Um, I've got it on my computer. I wonder whether I should put it up on vimeo but then i'm breaking (laughs) my own copyright so and i'll probably get into trouble with Warner brothers um if i've got the guts i'll do it i don't (laughs) want to put you in a (laughs) position um well I, i certainly don't think stanley kubrick was a psychopath you know psychopaths aren't patient and stanley kubrick was incredibly patient okay there was a story about a guy called jack abbott um who was in prison i think he murdered a man he was in prison and norman Mailer discovered him in the 60s mm-hmm. and thought, this guy is like a genius writer in a sort of alpha male. He's so tough. He speaks it as it is. You know, he gets to the heart of, like, you know, the prison mentality. This man's a genius. So he petitioned the parole board to get Jack Abbott released from prison. And the parole board was like, whoa, Norman Mailer. Uh, so they released him. And uh, <laughs> Can't wait to first, see where this goes. Yeah. So the first <laughs> night, he goes to, like, a party in Manhattan with... um I can't remember who was there, but it was all like highfalutin people from like the New Yorker and the New York Times. I think, um, you know, society photographers, and they all kind of toasted him. And then that night, he left the party and went downtown. Went to a diner, wanted to use the toilet, and the guy in the diner said, "No, this is for customers only." So Jack Abbott said, "Can you step outside?" And Jack Abbott stabbed the man to death. Oh, yeah. So there's an example of somebody who. Um, Oh, this guy at the diner who worked at the diner wanted to be an actor. And apparently in court, Jack Abbott said, well, he'd never have made it as an actor. So here's somebody who is clearly a psychopathic, who was considered a genius writer by Norman Mailer. Uh, But I think in general, surely to be a kind of great artist, you need empathy and psychopaths don't have empathy. That's
3: a great. Well said. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 Also, let somebody use your bathroom if you're a diner owner. <laughs> well, I, let someone if you're use, a customer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, especially a psychopath. But anyone. Right. I but agree. Avoid problems.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, on the, it's on the counter and it's like struck to a fixed spoon. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no big deal. It's No big deal. Right. Don't I get agree. stabbed to death. <laughs> Only a psychopath would (laughs) blame the victim quite as much as you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Awkward. (laughs) But it was a long time ago. Lance did score a 12 on the psychopath test (laughs) at CrimeCon.
1: That's I, I convinced myself for oh, really? a while I scored a 15. Oh, I yeah, because
2: at Concord a I got everyone to do
1: the test. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. we both scored a 12. Okay. Yeah, and we but both I, stood up in the back when you, when you said stand up after if you've got a 10 or more. Right. All yeah, I was uh, doing was looking at what Tim was doing, <laughs>
3: and I was like, if, well, like, okay, I guess I'm at 12. <laughs> 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 but
1: that doesn't make us like psychopaths. No, 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 no. You
2: need to be, like, 26 and okay. 40. It's a 20-point checklist, um, but you score 0, 1, or 2, so the highest score is 40. Clinically, you're a psychopath. You're diagnosed as a psychopath. If you score 26 out of the 40 in Britain and 27 out of the 40 in the United States, so America is slightly more um, uh, (laughs) psychopath-friendly than Britain. You're allowed to be a little bit more psychopathic in America. (laughs) One of the
3: things you said during your... uh, discussion was um if you're with somebody if it's your significant other and you look over and you see that they scored a 26 just leave immediately yeah, just don't <laughs> worry about hurting their feelings because they don't have any anyway
2: yeah that's <laughs> that's what a half-ed psychologist called martha yeah. start once said to me if you're married to a psychopath leave you can't hurt their feelings because there aren't any feelings to hurt right
1: it's Yeah. so bleak it is bleak right yeah, yeah. but more of there's no chance she was a psychopath right or psych- sociopath
2: I mean, I, I think it would be a huge coincidence if she was. I mean, there's it's already a lot of coincidences in this story. I yeah. think that would be yet another one. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know very much about her, only, only what I'd know from your podcast and James Renner's book. Um, but no, she just seemed like a normal person.
3: Yeah. To circle back with uh, you being up there in New Hampshire and um, what you do, as your, um, your your journalistic style, uh, immersing yourself, mm. there's been a number of people who have tried to do that with Morris Case, and they just see too much darkness. Mm. What do you think the where do you think the the the, the drop off is there? Where does it become too dark for some people, and some people can handle it and make that separation?
2: Honestly, for me, darkness wouldn't wouldn't be a factor as to whether I was going to do the story or not. Mm-hmm. Um, for me it's 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 resonance it's like what you know the story you know I kind of think every story that I do is about something and then it's about something uh it's so it's 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 a really interesting story in itself, but then it tells a wider truth about the way that the world works. Those are the stories I'm always looking for so when I was up in New Hampshire with James that's I suppose what was in the back of my mind was you know other, the story has to not just be about what happened to Moammar. It has to be about something else, mm-hmm. and I'm still wondering like what that is. What that is. Yeah, um, but you know, I'm kind of chilled out. Like, like I think you have to be chilled out. You have to just sort of do a story that intrigues you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it will stick. Sometimes it won't stick. Mm-hmm. But the only way of doing it. My friend Adam Curtis, the documentary maker, is like one of the world's greatest journalists, and he said to me one time, you know, you. Go off and do stories, just do stories, and something will come out of them uh, and I think that's really good advice, just you know when you're in the middle of doing a story, you don't even need to really think about what does this mean? Just just do stories, and something will click, and sometimes they won't, sometimes it will fall by the wayside yeah, yeah, so, that. yeah that's amazing advice yeah, because <laughs> I, I mean, I've done a lot of very, very dark stories, and sometimes mm. they are too dark. Let's circling totally back to the beginning of this conversation. Okja has a very, very dark ending. Um, but Bong Jun ho managed to turn the darkness into something sort of haunting and beautiful as opposed to off-putting. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's how you tell the story. You know, I think you can tell a very, very dark story. But you have to be good enough, smart enough to tell it in a way that that matters to people that's meaningful
3: especially when it's something that's like what you work on it these are actual events that happen these are actual yeah. life changing events
0: mm.
3: something that you know so you've been publicly shamed yeah. these are, like we said we made kind of the half joke like we're all on the we're all one bad joke away from yeah so you could tell that story as it's like terrifying mm. uh, you know terrifying like bleak world or you can tell it the way you do which is there's, you kind of you know there's there's an underlying sense of humor there yes keeps people there we go it keeps people not as dark so when you get into these dark situations there's always this bit of humor yeah that you can turn to
2: yeah yeah although more than my other books shamed is more kind of tense reading experience yes yeah. i got uh, my other books are really just just Funny and bouncy and charming. I I, I hope. Where sh- was shamed? I th- I thought I'd try something different, which was to kind of write a horror movie. Yeah. Um, where you know the anxiety that I felt writing the book is on the page, and and it's it is. yeah, and people feel it in their own heads. Yeah. Uh, and I'm quite pleased that, that that I managed to add that. Yeah. String to my belt.
1: Yeah, it's just I don't want this to happen to me is basically when you're right. reading it. Yeah. <laughs> this yes. is a yeah. cautionary tale. Be yeah. careful. Yeah. yeah. So social, a social
3: media thing. horror story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. It's a horror story. Yeah. It's like it's creeping terror. Right. Um I never managed to to explain the book properly to people. Like I think people thought they were reading like a, an issue book, but in fact what they would read if they read it would be it's like the Blair Witch project. It's it's Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. scary. And yeah. It's it's like a beach raid. It's like yeah. the girl on the train. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do most of my books um, recently through uh, – I'll listen to them through, through Audible. So I, I recently went into – I realized that uh, I didn't have a physical copy of um, Psychopath Test, and I went into Barnes & Noble. And um, do you know where you're categorized, by the way? No. Look- <laughs> <laughs> I looked everywhere. And the guy was like, oh, it's upstairs. The little corner over there, it's uh, popular psychology.
2: Oh. It's well, pretty cool. I, I don't mind that. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind popular psychology. Yeah. I mean, when a book, it's backlist now. You know, when a book is frontlist, you're on the front table. It would be terrible if you're not. But when it's backlist, it's okay for it to find a little home in popular but psychology. It, yeah, uh, once the Minister at Goats was a New Age, which pissed me off. <laughs> it was a New Age? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that really annoyed me. I can um, see that, yeah. But in Britain, I'm in, uh, in Waterstones, I'm in smart thinking. There's nothing better than that that's
3: no. a that's a category yeah, yeah over there oh, okay yes. wow that's, yeah it's I not a it, barnes and noble right that. no no yeah. i went into the humor section i yeah. went into like essays i went into right. and then i went up to the guy because that's my last resort it was right. to talk to somebody
2: <laughs> well i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad it was there yeah oh yeah, yeah. it was yeah
3: actually yeah. he he I, was, I said what do you have by john ronson and he stopped for maybe like two seconds and he was like oh right yeah okay yeah uh uh okay the uh yeah. so you've been publicly shamed i get the yeah he was, ah. he was all about you hey good well, shout out to uh Burlington,
2: uh, <laughs>
1: Barnes and Noble. How do you get the access that you get?
2: I mean, oft, often I don't.
1: Yeah. Um, Seems like you do. Re- reading your book, every yeah. everything that it brings you from one thing to another and then the next paragraph, you're talking to this person already.
2: I, I definitely think the books are like, they should be like rivers, like when, you know, rivers find their way around stones and not getting access, not getting access used to kill me, used to destroy me. And I thought, you know what, no, just find another way around the stone, um so so the times when I don't get access, I just don't make it to the finished book but the but the way I mostly get access is just to be passionate, yeah, um it's to be passionate like like to really care about the story to really and I think that that rubs off on interviewees, yeah, um, and that's always been the way I've always wanted to tell stories that I really want to tell,
1: yeah, yeah. and you're you're a very likeable guy in person, so I imagine when you meet these people that, that you write about they enjoy the conversation with you
2: yeah I think so and they like the fact that I've really done my research yeah and that I am passionate um, I think that's got a lot to do with it now that I'm more well-known um, I think that sometimes helps and sometimes hinders but it probably yeah. balances itself out I mean I think some people like when I first started I spent a year with an Islamic militant in London called Omar Bakri Muhammad. and I don't think he would ever have let me in my life if I was well-known right the fact that I wasn't was what so so it hinders, but then it helps. Like I've just done this year in the porn community for um, for this show, the Butterfly Effect, and I think the fact that I was well known helped. I think they were happy to have like a, a sort of well known journalist on porn set. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Do people get mad at you at times? Oh yeah, because you're honest, you know, and and so you sometimes yeah. you don't paint people in the best light. You paint it the way it happened, the way you felt at the time. Yeah,
2: so. yeah. People people do get mad sometimes, and I, and I never like it. Like I don't consider myself. Cause you're right. I'm honest, so um, I, I and I'm honest about my own failings, just like you guys are. So I sort of think, well, it's fine. We should just all be honest together. That's why I miss the the Twitter of curiosity and and when everybody was just honest and everybody was like, oh, it's okay. Be honest. It's cool. Now if you're honest, they fucking kill you. Um, so um, mm-hmm. I I but yeah, sometimes people get mad, and it makes me upset, and it gives me sleepless nights. Uh, uh, it's the last thing I want to do is to is to upset people. Mm. But it does happen sometimes. And then I, I come up with my own cognitive dissonant reason to not feel bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I do feel bad about it. I do.
3: Yeah. Well, I guess you wouldn't be doing your job if you
1: didn't feel bad.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: What um, The la- last question I have here, and thank you very much, John Ronson, for joining us here today. And thank you very much to Audio Boom for letting us use their studio and yeah. showing us around. They're really cool. Thank you. Who slagged you off? On on this show, I don't want
2: to. Yeah, I know. I mentioned it in a
1: DM to you, but right. but then you were like, "Who?"
2: Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to remind you, of... well, because we, we s- don't know." We said we...
3: "Who" after we looked up what "slagged off."
2: <laughs> the definition <laughs> right. of "slagged off," right? Yes, yeah, so, I think yeah. it's like some British thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, "slagged off" means attacked. Yeah. I, I was once attacked on your show, but really? yeah. Really? But if we you honestly do not remember that, if yeah. you can't remember it, then then I'm not going to bring it up.
1: Okay, I have a guess. I'll I'll, I'll guess off off air. I guess. Well, okay. or, Let's it wasn't just guess neat, now. Right? If, yeah, was it? It was the forensic uh, psychology professor. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> it had to be.
2: Uh, most people in the profession really like the psychopath test and see it as a as a oh. a really interesting cautionary yep. tale about about confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance and appreciate the fact that I was an outsider coming into the world and looking at it with a fresh eye. Like most psychologists and psychiatrists really like the psychopath test, but then other people within the profession, but but I'm glad to say it's a minority, um, don't like the fact that, that I'm an outsider who came in and I wrote a book about, uh, you know confirmation bias and so on mm-hmm. and you know so there's a small number of people who don't like the book but i'm glad to say that most pe- people in the profession really do and when i do i do the show called psychopath night in britain where we play this big theater it's like 2000 seat theaters wow. oh, that's and, great. yeah and um lots of professionals come it's like lots of care workers psychologists social workers prison officers like like it's it's a kind of busman's holiday for a lot of people in the profession. And they like it. So you know so so the, so the people in the profession who don't like my book, I'm glad to say are, are really in a minority.
3: Yeah. That's gonna be like an enormous sense of pride for you to put something out there and then have people in that profession who deal with so it so much. Yeah.
2: The same thing happened with the at Goats actually loads of people in the military yeah. got when I mean it's a long time ago that book came out now, but I got so many emails from like special forces soldiers yeah. and their wives and and yeah, loved it. It it is. It's a special source of pride when the people in the world that I'm writing about like it yeah well yeah. i just have
3: one more thing Go which is it. to thank audio boom for letting us use their studios i want to personally do that
2: wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I, can uh, i do it too <laughs> and
3: well no i mean the studios are amazing here. beautiful and yeah. and we're just proud to be on their uh, on their on their on their radar in any way <laughs> and thank you john for coming out and agreeing to do this and thank you for your stories and for everything that you do like with in, in literature it's it's phenomenal oh you guys thank and you so much I just want to read a, uh, a um, review of you that stood out. The Boston Globe once uh, described you as, <clears throat> this was uh, Jesse Singal.
2: Oh, I like Jesse Single, and I didn't know he's now with New York magazine and I, and I didn't know that he'd ever written about me.
3: oh yeah, he it was uh, lost at sea okay. and he said Ronson's desire to report on and attempt to explain human dysfunction in its various colorful forms uh, that you have this desire and you report on human dysfunction in its various uh, colorful forms is uh, such a such a cool way to put what you
2: do thank you and never in a condescending way I hope always in an empathetic way I'm fully aware of my own dysfunctions and all of our dysfunctions right yeah, yeah. Um, thank you thank yeah. you <laughs>